0: Welcome to Ben Navarre's podcast
1: with your host Ben Navarre. Uh, howdy, and welcome back to the Ben Navarre's podcast, or I guess we changed the name to the Ben Thinking Podcast. Uh, Eric is who we have on today. Eric Nipsick and. Eric, I know very little about, but this is definitely an opportunity to get to lo- learn a little bit more about exactly what you do, and then how you got into working in the industry that you're in. So, if you don't mind, give me a, a little introduction, if you will, sir.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, my name's Eric Nixick. I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada, born and raised, and I'm the one of the head coaches and gym manager over at Shrinkator Mixed Martial Arts. Um, been there for. Fifteen years now, so been there for a long time. Uh, First day I stepped in the door, Randy Couture was um, getting ready for Tim Sylvia, back when his his like comeback return to fight for the heavyweight title. So uh, been in been in that room for for a long long time. So seen a lot, done a lot, (laughs) been around some some pretty badass dudes, and you know very fortunate to call what I do a, a job.
1: So, what exactly are you doing day to day with your athletes, your clients? I mean, it, it sound, i mean, that's—it gives me chills thinking about. But what, what do you? Yeah, what is what is it that you do exactly? Uh,
0: so, my morning sessions are usually—you um, know—I'll have three or four sessions in the morning, and those are one-on-one, individual um, stuff with my fighters. So, for example, like yesterday, my morning starts with Danny Gay, uh, Puna Soriano, and then Cody Garbrandt. So those guys are all the guys that kind of have fights coming up or, or skill building. Right. And then, um, and then I'll do some, some office work uh, essentially from like 12 to two. And then I run pro practice at three 30 and then whatever, you know, workout or anything that I'm going to do, I'll try to schedule in between um, my sessions in the morning or my pro practice or after practice. And then I get home and you know, it's, it's, it's a dad and husband time. So um, morning mornings are basically individual drills and then pro practices at three thirty.
1: What is, what is pro practice? So about?
0: yesterday, um, the practices that I run are, are essentially heavier and grappling, but more of MMA practice, if you will, we'll, we'll, we'll tailor practice around like, uh, situational drills. Um, yesterday we started off with just single leg, double leg defense, um, like almost a shark tank style of a drill session. Uh, then we'll go over to like front headlock referees position. Um, then I did, what else did I do from there? Oh, then guard, just basic guard position stuff. Um, a lot of the drills was essentially getting up, working your get-ups because, you know, I think a lot of guys fail to understand that when you're playing off your back or staying off your back, you're, you're really losing the fight. So urgency getting off your back. So that was kind of what yesterday's drill session was. And then we went live goes from certain situations and positions. Um, and then I'll give them a Dutch drill combination to finish off. So a lot of feet to the floor stuff. It's not just like, oh, we're just going to come in and grapple five, you know, five or six rounds. We're, we're, we're going to put, um, some emphasis on certain positions and things like that.
1: Did you ever see yourself getting to this point? Is this always a field you wanted to be? Uh, in? No,
0: not, not even close. You know, I always, I always figured if I was going to coach, it was going to be football. I thought that was going to be the natural transition for me just with, uh, you know, my dad being a, a lifelong coach and, and really all my uncles and everybody else. So I definitely thought I was going to be in coaching. I, I thought I was going to be in in football more than anything. So um, but I, I always knew, like I have a, a good friend of mine, Jimmy Gifford, coach at our gym. And he always says, he's like, it didn't matter, you know, what you're coaching. He goes, you're you're going to be great at it. He goes, if you could be coaching badminton, you'd, you'd be good at it, you know. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I feel like I have um, a good way of approaching, I think, getting information across to fighters, but being able to utilize a, a bunch of different tactics to do so. You know, guys learn in different ways and guys respond in different ways. So I always always use the analogy of like, you know, we have to have a set of janitor keys and you just got to know which right keys to open the right door.
1: Damn, I like that analogy a lot. I haven't heard that one. I get the, I definitely have heard similar, but I like that one quite a bit. It's very palatable for other people who maybe aren't in the coaching industry that maybe want to get into the, into the coaching industry. And because you've had the opportunity to work around so many badass people that have seen so many different and had so many different life experiences you get to kind of steal their keys and just add them to your key.
0: yeah exactly that's a great way to look at it you know and i think that's that's uh over time you know being in the game for 15 years you're going to come across a lot of different styles of people and you know their their upbringings and and their, their you know their ideologies and the way they look at the fight game and not only the fight game the, the their approach of what they do in life and why they want to be fighters you know it's not just like a super easy field to get into you know so so people that fight that they fight because they have some stuff going on probably you know for the most part so getting to know them and understanding what makes them tick i think is certainly important
1: managing those emotions i feel like is probably something extremely difficult for and as a coach
0: yeah absolutely um you know i always say like never too high and never too low um because the highs are high and and again like we're so busy as as a coaching staff that you can get lost in in your emotions of of tranquility. Like you're just so happy and you're running around and you lose focus on on you have another fighter that you have to be present for on both sides of the scale. You know, you could be super down and upset because you got a loss, and you know, like we lost Chris Curtis lost a close decision this last week, and I have to be primed and ready to go for a Daniel Zahuber who fights on Saturday. So I always kind of give myself. Um, Saturday and Sunday to 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 grieve or to celebrate, and come Monday you have to hit that reset button.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Gold Star Barber Studio. These guys have some of the best haircuts in the state of Texas. They have six locations in the Bryan-College Station area, San Antonio, and in the South Valley. They also have their website, goldstarbarberstudio.com. Please visit their website, get you some merch, schedule you a an appointment with one of their amazing barbers. I go to Jeff. I think Jeff is, you know, he's been my f- best barber that I've ever had. So the speed at which they're able to accomplish things, you know, all of us are busy people. We're trying to get in and out. They harp on speed and quality. And they do not lack on either of them. So I recommend that you guys go ahead and visit Gold Star Barber Studio and get yourself a new barber and beautiful cut.
0: No matter what, you know, it it really is difficult to do at times. But over the years, I think it's become a little bit easier for me to hit that reset button and get right back to work
1: how engaged are you with with your fighters like are are you with them up until like friday saturday sunday and then like are you training like are you watching diets and and weight cuts and stuff in the weight room and stuff on the mat yeah so um a lot of the guys it's it's so nice too because
0: this day and age ben like you don't have to babysit a lot of the guys anymore um the professionalism that we have at our gym is at the highest standard of like, you know, there's guys that you back in the day, you'd have to watch and be like, bro, you can't eat that. You can't do this. You have to keep an eye on them at every turn. But luckily for us, I feel like the the type of athlete that we get now is, is, is much easier um, for having to just really babysit for that matter. But I do like, I do enjoy going in and I do strength and conditioning with um Ige, uh cody garbrandt jeremy kennedy uh i like to go in there and, and work out with those guys because it does get us it does give a, a sense of uh solitude like as a coaching staff right like try to do something a little extra that maybe some other people aren't doing and to me like being in the weight room or being in the snc brings a different element of hey man we've been this sh- through this shit together Um, and I could really say that and I really means it, you know, and and Dan will tell you that there's days where Dan doesn't want to be in there and it's hard. We go to project wellbeing. It's like an NFL style, you know, workout room and they push us hard, man. And sometimes, you know, neither, none of us want to be there, but when you're, when you're, (laughs) when your coach is there and, and we're grinding together and we're pushing together and we're in, we're in that shit together, it makes it a lot easier when it's, you know, two, two or one, one going into round three or two, two, going into five and you get on the stool, and you look your fighter in the face, and you're like, yo, motherfucker, I've been there with you. I know what we've been through together. You know, it's no bullshit. It's no fluff because he knows that I've been there with him just as much, you know, so I think it adds another element to to being, uh, you know, on top of it type of coach.
1: It, I think that you have a really cool opportunity to work with a specific group of athletes that you can do that with, being able to be out there and not have to worry about so much form and things, but getting actually to just – that that sweat that grind and know really what that feels like. It it's not very often you get an opportunity as a, as a coach to have that chance, and so it's it's kind of cool to hear. And, and I think that. Like part of the, part of the goal for for the podcast is also kind of like, um, kind of like a YouTube university. You know, I think a lot of us ended up going to, going to YouTube more than we, to using our college degree to, to learn about what exactly it is to be a coach or to how to train specific movements. And so your outlook and, and your experience kind of gives somebody who may be on, on trying to get into the industry and be, be a coach, kind of give them a little bit more idea on how to be one, a better coach. And then also, um, on exactly what type of coach right there's there's a hell of a different like what I mean you do all these different things what kind of coach would you say you are I mean are you an MMA coach is that the thing yeah I think that's to me you know
0: if if, if you were to to put a name on it or a label on it yes that w- that would be my my thing would be an MMA coach but to be honest with you, Ben, like, I, I take a lot of pride in raising men and women, like th- making them better than, what we, when, than when we found them, you know. Um, and I always allude to Dan Ige a lot. Like, he, he was a, a kid that, you know, a good pro, a, a young pro, that he wasn't in the UFC, but a kid who moved here with $27 in his pocket living on Brad Tavares' couch, you know.
1: Families are all different. However, family traditions are a staple. One of my family's traditions is shopping at Max Fine Furniture in Westlaco. I remember my grandparents being filled with pride when buying new furniture at an affordable price. This month of April, go visit Max Fine Furniture on Facebook, and in the red ad that says Traditions, write hashtag Traditions, And you will get 25, that's right, 25% off of high quality furniture at an affordable price. If you come into the store, then you can find Maribel, Elva, Elsa, and Letty at the front. Talk to one of them and they'll treat you like family. To
0: to a point now where he's married and has kids, has a home, he has money put away. Um, You know, he's a great man. He's a great father. So I think over time, you you start to learn that, like, hey, this game is going to come and go, but the relationships and the time that we've had together will, will only make us closer for the future, you know, and we're going to be telling each other's grandkids about the situations that we are in. Um, so growing, helping growing these men and women and leaving them better off where you found them is very important to me. I feel like the last few years I, I've, you know, started to see the change in lifestyles for Chris Curtis and Taylor Gordado and people that I've been around for a long time that like, you know, they have homes now and they're driving better cars. And, you know, and a lot of it is just because of the gym and the people that they're around. And that's important to me that that they're they're better off.
1: That makes me feel like you know, like I think that's a sign of a good coach, right? It's you care about the person, and then the sport is the outlet, right? That, that the thing that they found that they want to use is their career, but ultimately, it it really does come down to the relationships, and you've been able to build a hell of a lot of them. What does it look like for the next, you know, five to ten years for you in the sport? Like, is this what you want to stay doing? Yeah, I do. I, I think for me, I always am,
0: am trying to find ways to. To better myself and evolve and uh one of the things that i do i feel like i do really well is is breaking down fights and and do, giving analysis and things like that so i've been working a little bit more on doing some of that um in front of the camera i work with espn and mark rimonde and brett akamoto um i did have a show that was supposed to come out but because of the james Krause gambling situation it got it got kicked back because they, they didn't want to get me in any trouble um, because it was it was actually related and tied into gambling. So it was probably better off for me. But I was I'm trying to find ways to like almost mimic what Dean Thomas does and hopefully maybe one day back up what Dean Thomas does and be a, a coach analyst with the UFC. Um I think eventually I'd love to be able to match make and get my own promotion. You know, there's a lot of things that I, I really would like to do and, and maybe even manage some fighters because you know, I'm I'm 43 now, I don't feel too bad, but um, you know, I can feel my body starting to break down you know, holding pads for guys like Francis Niganu and and Puna and big guys, you know, big guys take it, take it full on you.
1: Damn. You know, so. I can't imagine what that power feels like to get behind a pad and, and oh man, dude. It's
0: something else, man. It's, it's
1: an unworldly, you know,
0: worldly. He's like (laughs) a goddamn superhero. So, um, and you know, over, over the years, he's just gotten better and better and better. You know, we've, we've come up with a good, um, you know, a good, a good team around him that we, we love just, uh, the work that we're getting in. And I think that you're able to see that in the steep a fight and then the gone fight and just being able to kind of, you know, add new tools to a already great athlete. You know, he, he can knock anybody out, but a lot of times it's more about how you get the, how you get there and how, how to process it and stuff. So, you know, he's, he's an incredible athlete with incredible power.
1: Dude, I, I I feel like there's so many, like so many things in in your brain that you that like I selfishly want to learn from. It's like, how do you? I want to watch you work, right? I think that that ultimately that's how it's hard to put into words like what being a coach is and how are you exactly trained? Cause at one point it becomes second nature that you're just, you're just being right. you, right? You're just coaching people and you're, you're out on the corner doing your thing, but it has a reason there's a rationale there that maybe you forgot about, but as other, as somebody else on the outside perspective can see and say, man, he's, you know, handling that situation really well by doing X, Y, and Z. It, I think it'd be, it'd be fun to, to watch you do your thing. I mean, It sounds like you've already had a lot of success, but then, you know, who, who, who the hell knows where it goes, you know, it's for sure. And,
0: and, you know, that, that's really my main focus is, um, not losing sight of who and what I am and what got me here. You know, we won some great awards, you know, MMA coach of the year, gym of the year, all these little things. But I think for me, it's really just the reminders of what got me here was keep my mouth shut, put my head down and working hard. And your fighters speak for you, you know, they speak for you in the cage and they do the work and and good things will happen. So, um, you know, I think that's really it for me is just, you know, continue to keep that same formula and trend and, you know, be a good be a good human being. Right. Like, don't be an asshole in this in this in this field and uh, good things will happen.
1: I feel like that's pretty much any feel. I feel like that's life, you know, just don't be a dick and I think you'll be no all kid. right, you know. Treat people well and people will no treat kid, you well. Man.
0: Yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty good uh good reason to live, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, what like what was this weekend like and then how do you transition into this next week and it seems like that's a hell of a pace to keep. Yeah, it
0: gets it gets tough, I mean, on the road you're not doing a whole hell of a lot. Um you're just kind of there. Like, we got, we always say hurry up and wait. You know, you, you, they get you there. You're hurried. You're hurried. You're hurried, and then you're just sitting in a room waiting the whole the whole time. You know, so. Um, but Chris is super super easy. We got to go out, and it's not bad. Like when you're in Miami, or or you're in a good destination cities, to so where you can go out and go see the scenes, or you know, run the beach, or do stuff. So it's a lot of team building at that during that time. You know, watching movies or or going out and doing runs together, getting workouts in together. But uh, for the most part, you know, you're just waiting to cut weight and and then get in there and fight. And then when we fight, man, we're we're the first ones out. Like I think we're on a five a.m. flight or something to get out of there. So,
1: yeah, damn, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah,
0: I like I like getting out early, especially when it's you know on the East Coast and you get home on the West Coast. You get almost you get home almost like you know I got home like eight a.m. So. It works out perfect when, when, you know, you don't get a lot of sleep, but at the same time you can try to sleep on the plane. And, you know, for us, like time is of the essence when it comes to spending time with the family and the kids. So if I can get home early, um, I have the whole Sunday to spend, and it was Easter. So, um, yeah, it's good. And then you just hit the reset button. I'll be on the road on Thursday. So I'll leave early Thursday morning and be back out to Kansas City for uh, Zell Hoover.
1: Damn. And is this – is this year round pretty much? Is this
0: what your schedule look like? April's April's scheduled pretty bad. Like it, it was, it was the entire month of April. I have a fight every weekend, you know. So, um, April first, April eighth, the fifteenth, the twenty second, and then the 29th. So my whole entire April is booked with fights. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh it's a, you know it could be a good April, you know, if everybody wins from here on out. But uh, you know, it's it's the name of the game. It's it's that's probably the hardest part about coaching is you know. Um, you're you're at the mercy of three judges, and you know three judges see the fight going in one way or another. It's half your pay, so it, it could be it could be tough at times. Half your yeah, pay? I mean, you're you're paid off. I get paid percentage of the of the fight. So you know if Chris Curtis wins that fight, you know it's a hundred grand, and if you if he loses, it's fifty grand. You know, so our percentages change depending on depending on win or loss. So it's 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 difficult at times. That that's a little a little bit of a lot of yeah, the difference there, for sure, for sure. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's the way the game has been built, you know, and and that's uh, it's probably the hardest part about it. You know, we did we did everything we we're supposed to do. You know, you worked hard. You didn't eight weeks of camp and doing everything you're supposed to do, and and it's all half your pay if you if you win. You
1: know? so, <laughs> oh. crazy. That is the craziest commission ever you're like you have to be an expert in coaching and exercise and physiology and the psychology of the athlete and then you hand it all over to them and then you hope that the you know the the win works right right? and if it's win then it's like selling right um you made the sale versus if you lose and you don't you get half and you still get paid sure but like there's a lot riding on the line i never knew it yeah man it's, it's a it's a lot of money you know and
0: it's tough. It's tough at times. And, you know, the wins and losses were always weigh on you. Um, but it, it's like you didn't, you know, as a coach, it, it, I always kind of equate it to a guy who comes in and builds you a swimming pool. You know, he, he did the job. He did everything he was supposed to do. The product's now done, but they're going to give you half your money for what, you, for what your labor was. You're like, oh, shit. But that, that's the name of the game, man. That's something <laughs> where we, where we signed up for.
1: Is that all coaching inside of this field? Uh, I mean, for
0: the most part, you know, I I don't know at, at other gyms. Um, I know some gyms might pay, pay a flat rate, um, but like American Top Team, for example, they pay their coaches a salary. We and then the the fighter pays the gym. At at Extreme Couture, the the the, the fighters pay the coaching staff. You know, the the fighters pay the gym a monthly like membership fee, which is like one twenty five. And then us as coaches negotiate our rates and our percentages with our fighters. That's kind of cool. And you can take on any amount of fighters that you, that you, yeah, exactly. You can, you can have all you want. Um, you know, you just can't really don't overload your workload because, you know, sometimes that just actually is counter efficient in what you're trying to do and being present with your fighters, you know, it's hard. Like this one's been hard because I have. You know, Natan Levy fighting April 29th, and, you know, I hardly get to see him because I, I'm traveling so much. So I try to fit him in the front of the week and make sure I'm around for him during the during the early part of the week. And then, um, you know, by the time fight week rolls around for him, you know, I'll be I'll be here with him all week. Right. So um, a lot of that really is predicated on offseason stuff as well, too, Ben. Like you have to make sure you're getting your work in and growing as a coach and a fighter um, outside of camp, not just the eight weeks during camp.
1: So what are you doing f- to help further your education? What, I mean, what do you uh, do?
0: I do a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm like what you said earlier. I'm on YouTube quite a bit. I, um, I'm one of the coaches for dynamic striking. So they give me a code so I can go, log on to dynamic striking and download like any other coaches videos and stuff like that. So like, I just watched, uh, Matt Brown did, he has a like a great series on clinch series, elbows and dirty boxing. So I, I watched that, um, especially because you're on the road so much. I'll travel to gyms and go see what other guys are doing at gyms. Um, when you're on the road, you know, I'll hook up with Henry, Henry Hooft or whoever's in the room and kind of try to pick their brain. But there's so much information out there for us now um, than there was back, you know, when I started that you'd be a fool if you weren't trying to grow or trying to add new new tools to your skill set. So really just taking the time to to kind of expand your mind. But you have those those tools at the tip of your fingertips these
1: days. So what is the light, what is the latest thing you've added to your repertoire as a coach?
0: Um, I think probably, uh, you know, more of like the, the fit in series stuff that we do, like blending our wrestling into our boxing and our kickboxing, I think is very important. So just trying to find some better routes and, and techniques to go and find like how we blend in. Like, for example, we were throwing a lot of our right elbow series, like, so, uh, framing with our left arm, elbow series with our right arm. And how do we go into like a body lock series transition, um, so I'll, I'll find one or two things, um, very small, but we we'll, we call them routes. So I'll make meat, meat and potatoes and then I'll add routes off of it. Um, and then we'll just kind of play with it, meet myself. And then like Kai Kamaka, Jeremy Kennedy, guys that I work with quite a bit, Dan Ige. Uh, we'll work on a, one or two things and we'll run different routes off of them. And then different skill sets, you might come up with, with, with different things from each fighter. So I think it's important to kind of share your mind or share what you're working on with your fighters and allow them to uh, maintain their creative control. You know, some athletes are different than the others. Some guys are some guys can throw a better kick. Some guys can are better wrestlers. So I think just trying to add in new little things and nuances to our game, um, especially outside of camp, is very
1: important. You have to be such a detailed individual i mean you're not you you are just you're a technique guy it's what it sounds like more than anything else and then being able to be creative in that technique and then but at the same time specific to the fighter and then the the opponent as well are you are you tracking what the opponents are like are constantly doing well
0: i i I do break down a lot of tape but i kind of look for tendencies
1: and what they might
0: be doing um i'll I'll, so so really what i do like let's say pre-camp um i'll break down their past three fights maybe i'll go back a little further but the past three is to me is always pretty pretty relevant on who they are as a fighter now um if i see something i pick up something that might be a, a, of a pattern i might go back even further to see if that pattern reigns true even in even further back so I'll, I'll usually do that and then what i'll do is i'll go back and watch maybe our last three fights of my fighter And I'll try to look at what this fighter's skill set will try to do to our fighter's skill set, how they might try to uh, attack us. So not only will I put a game plan together for my fighter, but I'll also put a game plan against our fighter, you know? So it kind of gives them an idea, Hey man, I think they're going to try to come out and do X, Y, and Z. You know, for example, like with the Kelvin and and Chris Curtis fight, like I knew they were going to come out and throw the calf kick. I knew they were going to come out and try to wrestle. Um, you know, there was, there was things right away. We knew we were ahead of it. You know, the moment Chris got kicked with the, the calf kick, he pointed over at me, you know, cause, cause I told <laughs> him, I was like, yo, this, they're going to try to attack your lead leg just by your stance alone, your style, your Philly shell boxer, um, your toe points to the inside, your southpaw versus southpaw. They're definitely going to try to attack our calf. And that was the first thing the kid threw. So right away we, we knew what the game plan was, but we had, we had the proper adjustments had that happen. And after the second round, he didn't really go attack the calf anymore because we were able to shut it down with our right hook.
1: Do you counter the right hook to avoid the kick? Well,
0: you can. um, You also don't want to allow – so what Kelvin was doing was was drifting his footwork over to the right side and trying to catch an angle, almost flank angle, to to attack the calf. He was doing really, really good footwork. Um, But what we we did to counter that was I told Chris was to throw a one-three or when he did come to, into attack for the calf, you have to plant heavy and you can't allow, you can't allow him to, to, to get a free calf kick that you have to counter him. So if he throws a calf kick but we hit him with a 3-2 two or 2-3, two, he might think twice about coming in there again because we're going to try to take his head off, you know. So we had some different um, ways to approach it, but one was basically not allowing him to get over there. And if he did get over there, you had to make him pay with the counter. Off the kick. So we did both of those things. And then after that, he, he didn't really attack the calf anymore.
1: A right, mission yeah. accomplished, right? You, you ended up, a goal accomplished, you won. It's, I mean, that's how often do people stay in strict to their game plan? When things feel that in the moment they're falling apart, but on the outside as a coach, you can kind of see like, no, like things are going the way you're supposed to, but then the athlete kind of starts to either deviate or not have that, that, that confidence in their, like in the training. Does that happen? Yeah, it definitely happens. And I think that like, sometimes, you know, you have to
0: give them the benefit of the doubt in the sense where. You know they're the ones that are in there. They might not be able to find the timing or they, they might not be able to see the opening that we might see. Um, so a lot of times I'll ask the question or I'll, I'll pose like, hey, is that is that calf kick there or is that leg kick there or or that overhand or something we're working on? I'll remind them that it's there, but I'll say it in a way of more of as, as a question. And they might even say, oh, that like might even be a reminder. Like, oh, I haven't even thought about throwing it. Okay, let's let me get on it. Or I've had guys say, hey, it's just not there. Like when Brad, uh, Brad Tavares fought Israel Adesanya, you know, we wanted to chop the calf kick quite a bit, but Brad ended up breaking his foot, um, right in the first round. So, so after the first round I had asked him like, Hey, is the, you know, I need more of this calf kick. And he just said, it's not there when he shook his head. It's not, it's not there knowing Brad as well as I do. I knew that he was compromised. It wasn't that he couldn't find it. I just, when he said it, he didn't want to say it on television right? you didn't want to say, my foot's broken. So he just said, it's not there. But I looked down at his foot and his foot was like that big. I was like, okay, his foot's broke. So I didn't ask for it again, knowing, knowing the fact that his foot was compromised.
1: And then to get back into the the ring with a broken foot. I mean, you have to be a madman, oh, yeah, man, bro.
0: He's, he's insane. Like he, he fought that five rounds. Um, and Israel Adesani even says like to this day that, that Brad Tavares, gave him one of his toughest fights like the guy never left. The guy stayed there uh and Izzy broke his forearm too. Israel kicked kicked Brad and Brad blocked the kick and broke his broke his forearm. So Brad followed a broken foot and a broken forearm in that fight and stayed in there and, and went all 5 rounds.
1: That's a different oh yeah, he's human. He's a dog. He's a dog. Yeah. Dude, Dude. People complain about the stupid like you hear that and you're like I'm not going to complain yeah. about shit. Like that that's that's a different, but and there's a lot on the line, right? Like it's a t- like there's that doesn't matter how much it hurts. It, and this is this is the option. This one hundred percent. And
0: you know, I think you know, although we didn't win the win the fight, we kind of won the war, right? Like Brad didn't win the fight, but you know, it it I think it brought a lot out of Brad. And you know, had we you know pulled the plug or or pulled him out of the fight or said, hey man, we're, you know we've taken enough damage, um, I think it would have definitely hurt his his. Uh, I'd say it's confidence, but I just think that he proved so much to himself by being able to stay in there. And, and, you know, I think it was the fifth round. He's like sticking his tongue out at him. It was, like that mana, like new, new Zealand, ah, you know, like, and, and Izzy, you know, and, and, you know, he was, he was a battered, battered warrior that, that fight Izzy won the fight, but you know, Brad took a lot out of that fight.
1: There's still a lot of lessons learned. And yeah, it's the easy thing to see like the, the win versus, you know, the loss, but, what it does to an individual coming out of that fight for the rest of their lives, you know, like these guys are like making fight, fighting battles, fighting wars that, that change the way that they view the world. And for the, for the rest of their lives, the way they interact with their, their family, the way they interact with other coaches and other fighters and that level of like respect, but then like confidence, it's such a cool balance of, of life that that sport extreme sport i feel like offers. yeah
0: 100 you know and brad being a, a parent now you know he's he's going to be able to go back and plug that plug that tape in anytime his two daughters are going through something in life you know and, and say hey man like look at what look at what your dad's been through right like there's so many things you can draw upon that but it really raised the morale of the gym and the team and seeing our captain and brad tavares go out and fight and perform the way he did i think it really did Bring a lot to light about what we who we are as individuals and what we can accomplish.
1: And is this like is this a a trend between amongst most fighters at this level, or is this something that's unique to Brad? Um, I, I
0: would say a little bit of both, but I think it is definitely something that's unique to Brad. Like you know, I've seen guys quit in the locker room before the fight even starts. You know, they have like panic attacks or they don't have the confidence to go in and do what they do, but that becomes part of your preparation. You know, guys that pre- prepare correctly and do all the right things, um, put themselves in bad situations every day. You know, they're the ones I think that that thrive the most and, and understand that their trainings is, is what's going to get them across that finish line. Um, and that's, that's exactly what we see from a guy like Brad, you know, Brad's prep work and the way he handles himself, the way he takes care of his body. Um, you know that that not only is it great for Brad, but it's great for all the young guys around the room, especially the Hawaiian fighters that look up to Brad. He leads by example, and I think that's why you see so many re- very good Hawaiians at our gym is because of the role model that Brad is. No one wants to piss off Brad, and and and, and he leads by an example. So it's it's great to have a guy like that in your room because when kids ask you like, hey, well, what what can I do to pre- better prepare, or who can I like follow? you just go and point at Brad Tavares. Like, hey, watch him, watch what he does, you know? And, and we got that from like guys like Jay Heron, you know, the guys before us that we, that treated their bodies correctly and did the right things. We watched them, we followed their lead and now it's our turn to do the same.
1: I don't think that that's talked about enough. And, and I think just in my own life, and that's something I hear very often, it's really what that the opportunity or the, like the, the response. I don't know if it's necessarily responsibility. I'm not sure that I'd say that, but the, the role that that person plays for other people. And I don't know how, how popular fighting is in the Hawaiian culture, but I would imagine that him being there helps it grow and helps, you know, not even not even people who are into fighting, but maybe who don't see a career in, fitness who don't see like in sport but then they have this guy that they can now look to and say oh shit like there's 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 somebody that I can like pretty much associate myself with that's doing the thing I just got to right. do the thing
0: yeah that that that's you're absolutely right and I think that you know we saw that even with Francis and it didn't it didn't have to be it doesn't have to be becoming the world champion uh in the UFC but it does it does give the vision for the people, especially of Cameroon, that if Francis can do it, I can do it, right? Like that that whole, you know, four-minute mile, Benjamin Baniger, right, where he's like trying to, you know, the un, unbreakable, unbreakable four-minute mile, and then once he did it, 20,000 people did it after him, but before it was thought to be impossible. So I think just, you know, being around those types of individuals and, and guys that just refuse to be turned back you know, it really does help the team. It really does help all of us, myself included, you know, being around individuals like that. I think that was essentially why I even stepped into Extreme Couture was I wanted to be around individuals that were going to push me to be a, the best version of myself and surround myself with individuals that are going to raise my standard and levels. So, um, you know, I feel like that's what we have at our gym and you can look at each and every fighter in there. And, and I think that's a kind of a common denominator with, uh, with everybody in the room. You consciously
1: made that decision knowing that there's a higher level of athlete there, knowing that it was gonna make you a better person. One hundred
0: percent. I just I did not like my day-to-day. I didn't like what I was doing. Um, it wasn't like I was doing anything bad, but I was in the bar industry for a long time and I just felt like I was in a trap. I was in a rut. And within that bar industry, it was like you get off of work and the first thing you do is sit down and grab a drink and stick money in a machine, right? And then you know, next thing you know, you're trapped there for two, three hours after work. Then you go home and you sleep in late and you wake up late. And then you're kind of in this routine. But here's the thing, Ben, I started to look around at my, at my surroundings and the people that I was keeping within my company, very, all very, very nice people, good people, but people that I felt like didn't understand that they were in the same trap. And I was in that same trap. And then it just took me to realize, you know, it wasn't long. It took me a couple of years to realize, hey, man, I got to I got to figure out something that is motivates me or keeps me sharp and makes me better. And I was just finding extreme couture. And the moment I found extreme couture, I didn't want to go out at night. I wanted to get up and go train in the morning. You know, see, we're, we're all addicts to something. I feel like we have an addictive personality. Most of us do. But the key is to find something to be addicted to that's actually healthy and it's going to help you grow. And that's what Extreme Couture did for me. And then it wasn't long after that I was able to get a coaching position. And then you know I've been gym manager now for nine years, so I've been I've been running the gym for nine years. So it, it, it was funny because the moment I took over Extreme Couture, I still bartended. I, I kept a couple day a couple night shifts there because the money was so good. But once I had a new goal and a new purpose and a new vision through the gym. The bartending became super, super easy and no one really messed with you, not to say messed with you, but like you weren't ever under any peer pressure or no expectations by the people within the bar industry because they knew like, hey man, this dude's on his way out. Like he wants to be a better individual. And I think a lot of that hopefully motivated them to go out and step outside their comfort zone. Like I remember my bar back, you know, I told him like, yo bro, I'd love for you to, you know, get out of this, you know, make your money as much as you can, but find something else. He's been a police officer for the last four years now, you know, like being around people that are just go getters. And I'm like, dude, I'm telling you this bar industry is a chap, come in, do your job, get the work done and get the fuck out, you know, and, and and find something better to do. And and I'll tell you what, that's, that's what extreme couture did for me.
1: You woke the fuck up. I mean, that, that thing to me is just like, you fucking woke up and, And it takes time, right? I I do a snap, whatever, but like you, you, after you've done it for long enough, you start to wake up and you're just like, it's a slow, a slow awakening for some and some is faster, but not just what it did for you, but then what you do for other people to, and the people see that and notice it and not forgetting that, not forgetting that we have the power of, I think of, of our voice to say, Hey man, like I see something in you. And it's just the fact that you said something to somebody else to help them better their life, and you're always, you know, you are a coach. It sounds like, like even if you were in the bar industry, you're an educator, you're a coach, you're, you're, and I think ultimately that's what a coach is, right? They're educators. It's fucking cool, man. And you're right, like being around it is extremely important, and the more that we're around those people who like your, your network right. is your net worth. You the, the people the five people you hang around with, are going to be the, the sum of you, right. Or the, the sum of those five people are going to be you. All of that reigns true. And I think that you I mean you are firsthand experience of being able to live that. And experience
0: yeah. 100%. That. And a lot of it really was just self accountability. You know, I, I think that you point the finger, you point blame, you know, for all of your shortcomings and, and you, every little thing you could think of and more people, maybe more than I, but um I realized like, man, I'm the key to my own success here. And I'm not, I, I can't keep blaming other people. Why I didn't get what I wanted or I'm not where I want to be or whatever it may be. And it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I just started, you know, knowing like, Hey man, this is my fault. I got to be better. I got to grow. I got to find ways to get, you know, and, and thankfully I have a great wife who, also, is not going to sugarcoat stuff, you know. And I think that's the other thing too is, you know, find somebody that can be honest with you and not tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, you know. And and sometimes the truth truth's going to hurt on the front end. But I want my I want to surround myself with individuals or people that will tell you, you know, hey man, you're fucking up, or hey bro, you, you're better than this. And I had I had a few people in my life that were able to feel comfortable enough to say that. So now when i'm in a position i am now or when i you know especially like i won coach of the year those are the people i called right away you know to tell them thank you thank you for believing in me or seeing that i had more in myself and and giving me the opportunity to really step outside my comfort zone and, and push to a different level um you know you need those people in your lives
1: i think it's easy to to avoid those people in our lives yeah. that's for sure it's a lot easier to to not have that person around but I think in the long run, it is, it is ultimately better and, and makes your life more purposeful, fulfilling all all those, all those good things. And I know that we're, we're coming up here pretty, pretty close. I know you said you're going to have the stuff at one. And so I want to get you out as soon as we can here. Um, I always think that we all, we all have these nuggets that that we can learn from. And I think we've gotten a lot of those from you today, but if there's one thing that you could go back and like tell your 16-year-old self or give a nugget to some I, I to to the kid who's listening like what would what would that be?
0: Um I I honestly got it. it it's such a it's such a roller coaster, you know, and I think that there's times where you feel like, you know, you don't know where where to turn, where to go. And for me it was just really understanding that I knew I always knew that there was something bigger and better out there for me and no matter what it was going to be, I just knew that if I just was a good person, um, I turned my life to more. I remember for a while, Ben, I, I would always be so mad at seeing other people's successes. I'd be so like just condescending or, or you know, just hate. Not that to say hate, but just like, just why did this person get this job? Or why did this person get this girl? Or whatever it may be. And then something flipped inside of me to like, To learn to celebrate people's successes, that success isn't finite. There's not an end to it. Success is infinite. And there's enough success to go around for every individual that I started to cheer for more people. I started to open my heart to to people's successes and be actually genuinely proud and happy for them. And then slowly I felt like that mindset helped me turn over a new leaf in my own life and successes started to shower me. And people would be happy for me, right? And those things started to come onto my plate. All the while, when you build a gym and, a, and you build a team and, and you're a part leader of that gym and that team, it's important to bring those same individuals along with you, right? So my successes become their successes. I was more proud of winning gym of the year than I was winning coach of the year because that means we did it all together as a unit, as a team. And the individual one, yes, very nice award. And I always said, hey, I don't win that award without my gym and my team. But when the gym wins that type of award, that means everybody's eating. Everybody's getting the the accolades that they that they deserve. And that's what, what was really kind of my mindset shift, I think, was really just being happy for everyone around me. And now I truly generally believe it's part of my heart and soul, you know, so kind of open your mind to that love and, and appreciating the things that you do have and, you know, showing showing love to the people that are are being successful not only showing love but talk to them ask them hey man what, what did you do how did you change your life you know um i have a lot of good people around me that are in all different types of industries that are all these major go getters and i love hanging out with them because the one thing we do have in common is our mindset you know so so look for those individuals man i think that was the biggest thing for me as a kid was finding my surroundings and, and being a better, you know, better, I guess a better judge of my environment.
1: And where are those people at? Where do you find those people? Um,
0: You know, you, you, you find them all around. They're, 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 they're right next to you right now. You know, they're there. Um, I think a lot of times, sometimes we're dismissive of them being there. You know, sometimes we're too jealous to really open our eyes and know that this individual that's near me is actually more of a, of a tool and an attribute rather than, you know, a a mechanism to hate on, you know? Um, and then if they're not around you, if if they're not around you, just keep growing and keep doing your thing because you're going to attract those types of individuals. They'll find you, you know, and and believe in that.
1: Oh yeah, man. I, I really appreciate your time and and you doing this. And I hope that we can continue to now it looks like i'm going to be moving to, to las vegas here at the end of at the end oh, of yeah. may so this will be end up being home uh and so i, I look forward to hanging out with you and annie and, and jess and we can all you know get together and do do some stuff and i'm super proud of you man i don't really know uh, i mean i know you a little bit better now but congratulations and done a lot of really cool things no, it sounds like and there's appreciate only more you
0: again. Ben. yeah man this is fun and if you ever need me again bro hit me up i'll be happy to jump on Thank you for listening to the Ben Navarro's podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting
1: platforms.
0: Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes.